Hi, this is Beth Capici and welcome to the Never Perfect Podcast. I'm a psychologist and I believe that embracing the fact that no aspect of life is perfect actually makes us happier and healthier and motivates us to achieve more. It also helps us become more real and compassionate with ourselves and others. In my counseling office, I deal with a little bit of everything. So in this podcast, you'll also probably be hearing a little bit of everything. Not only professional advice, but also some of my favorite and least favorite personal stories. I'm also going to be interviewing people who are brave enough to share their stories with us. I believe that everyone has a lot to teach and a lot to learn no matter what their background is and in spite of their imperfections. You don't have to be perfect to be inspiring. This is Beth, and I'm going to be recording a podcast alone, and I'm super excited because I'm over the hump on my podcast recordings for two reasons. One, I think I can finally record one alone without sounding too boring or <laughs> too awkward, and two, I have a little mini microphone that's going to enable me to create many episodes. Uh, and I mean M-I-N-I podcasts episodes instead of bigger ones. One of the reasons I really wanted to do this was because I wanted to be able to share some of the really classic common information that so many people deal with with a broader audience. And so many of the epiphanies that clients have in the office or some of the most monumental sessions, you know, no one else gets to hear. And I feel like I wish people could be a fly on the wall um, sometimes and just kind of glean some of the information or know that they're not alone. And I recorded one on social anxiety earlier today. And so many people have that issue. And so what inspired this podcast right now, which is going to be a little miniature episode, is a summary of a really great classic session that I had with a college student today. And I hope that lots of college students get to hear this, but I also believe that most of this information could be helpful for absolutely anyone who struggles with anxiety or depression um, or self-esteem issues. So even though some of these issues are really common for college students. They really do relate to almost anyone. So, and I am at my office, so you may hear a little background noise and I got my little dog here with me. Hopefully he won't jump on top of this microphone, <laughs> but, um, so I'm going to call this student Molly and she knows that I'm going to be using some material from our session today. And she was excited about it. She's about 20 years old and she is in college and she's made so much progress this last year. I've only known her for a couple of months and she's definitely made progress since I met her, but she has really started to treat herself better this year and better self-care, better self-love, which is a really interesting point when you think about the fact that we are in relationship with ourselves. 
that just kind of occurred to me recently. I'm sure many, many people have said that or thought that. But when it hit me recently, I was like, wow, that's an amazing and profound thought. Like we actually treat ourselves in a certain way. We talk to ourselves a certain way. And, you know, every little thing we do for ourselves and to ourselves has an effect on us. So I was talking with Molly about how, you know, that that old classic saying, you can't love others if you don't love yourself. And people think that sounds cheesy or hokey. But one of the reasons I think that there's so much truth to that is if you are in a positive, healthy relationship with yourself and you value yourself, you send messages to your own person about your value and your needs through every little thing that you do or say to yourself. So we talk a lot about self-talk in general and therapy, but all those healthy habits that we do or don't have are a piece of that big picture. So Molly was talking about how she just recently met a really nice guy that she kind of went out with a few times and is she just really happy because he seems healthier than the average person that she's dated in the past? We talked about how as people get healthier, I see them choosing or choosing healthier friendships and romantic relationships. And I feel like that's a really great sign of how you're doing. And, you know, when you're in a really healthy relationship with yourself, then you don't necessarily need another person or you hopefully wouldn't feel miserable without another person in your life, like romantically. So it just gives you better judgment when you are good to yourself and you are sort of filling your own bucket, so to speak, then you're not as likely to just settle for a really horrible relationship or a mediocre relationship when you have a really good one with yourself. And it's also important to have really good relationships with friends. Because I think when we're lonely, we don't make great choices in who we date. We're not that picky because we're so miserable on our own. So that's one piece to this conversation today and conversations that I have with many people of all ages, especially when they're single. So another epiphany today was that even though Molly is doing really, really well, she also said that she's tired all the time and she said she really couldn't remember when she wasn't tired. She sort of said, you know, I can't even remember honestly how many years ago it was that I wasn't tired and low energy. So that led to a discussion on two different types of depression. Um, of course, we have like bipolar depression or mood swings type of depression. But then with the unipolar depression, which doesn't involve mania or hypomania, there are sort of two types that I think are really important to distinguish. So one is kind of like a chronic low-grade depression that's kind of always there lurking in the background where you have many symptoms of depression mildly that go on for over two years. And the, the criteria for it is basically that you feel depressed more than half the time for more than two years. And we call that dysthymia or dysthymic disorder. I need to make sure these terms always seem to be updated when they um, revise the diagnostic manual. So hopefully that's still the term they're using right now. I should, probably should have checked on that. 
But then the other one is called major depressive disorder. And that's where you have a more severe noticeable dip and you know it, people around you know it, it's more acute and severe and noticeable. And so those though only really have to last two weeks. So if you compared it to a fever or, you know, yeah, fever would be good. You could have a really severe fever for a day, like 104 degree fever, or you could have a real mild fever like 100 or 99.5 for two weeks. And that's kind of how the depression thing can be compared. So a lot of people with the more chronic low grade depression don't treat it or don't realize they're depressed. So that's one thing I brought up with Molly is I wonder if your low energy could relate to some chronic low grade depression. And she did feel like she kind of has both, which has been referred to as double depression, where you kind of have the chronic and the acute depression kind of superimposed on each other. Um, but then I brought up sort of a general health and well-being checklist that I use a lot. And this list is a really good one to look at to potentially explain depression symptoms or even to prevent depression. So the handout I use is called Developing Stress Muscles, and it really just kind of goes through a lot of healthy habits such as which I actually mentioned in another podcast, but are you drinking plenty of water? Are you limiting alcohol, limiting sugar, limiting caffeine, getting enough sleep, eating at least one balanced meal a day? Do you exercise at least a few times a week? Do you have at least two friends that you confide in? Do you have hobbies? Do you have a spiritual practice? On and on. So as I was going through this with Molly, the biggest Thing that stood out to her was her eating and she said that she's not trying to lose weight and she's not got an eating disorder but she just finds it difficult to eat healthily when she's in college and she often just eats like one meal a day at lunch it's just too much trouble she lives alone she doesn't have like a stocked fridge or a stocked pantry and she definitely thinks that's an issue and I think a lot of people forget to really realize or notice how much of a deal our diets are in our mental health. And I shared a story with her about another college student that I had worked with in the past who was about 22. And she had been, she had called me kind of in a crisis and said, I'm kind of having a breakdown of sorts. And we had a session and she said, I'm going to go home for the weekend and I want to do another virtual session because I'm just not doing well. So a few days later, we met again and she said, I know this sounds crazy, but as soon as I got home and had a good meal, I started feeling like a new person, and my normal self again. And she was just dumbfounded and it's kind of similar situation. She wasn't trying to diet or anything. She just wasn't really realizing how busy she was and how she wasn't making an effort to eat enough. And I think she and her roommate were kind of sharing groceries and she just wasn't very intentional or mindful of how little she was eating. So, you know, it's 
kind of shocking to see how, you know, I guess a lack of good nutrition can really cause mental health issues and instability. So that was interesting. Um, Molly also said she doesn't exercise that much, probably not enough. It's not terrible, but maybe a couple times a week and should be a bit more. So um, that's one piece that I wanted to mention. And then the other really neat takeaway from our session today, which I think could relate to anyone, is she is about to become a server at a restaurant. And when she interviewed, the person that interviewed her hired her on the spot. And she said, yes, we want you because you're so bubbly. And she said, I'm feeling really, really anxious about starting my job next week because this person said I was bubbly or thought I was bubbly and I'm really not. And so I feel like I'm going to have to fake it or somehow figure out a way to be bubbly when I'm not and that my real personality isn't going to be good enough type of thing. And so we started talking about it and it was another huge epiphany because when we really teased it all out and kind of analyzed it, it kind of made sense that she was trying really hard to make a good impression and to be friendly and she wasn't trying to be fake. She was just trying to be enthusiastic. And then she was afraid that this person would now expect her to be extremely bubbly and miss friendly sunshine kind of person. And that's not her style. And so, you know, I talked to her about how there are different personalities that make great servers. And I said that, you know, we often like servers that are understated just as much or even more. Um, and that, you know, as long as she's polite and professional and helpful, she, it doesn't really matter exactly what your personality style is, but there are just so many wonderful personalities that can make great servers. And when she started thinking about it, she was like, that makes perfect sense. And I've seen that myself. Like, I don't need a server to be bubbly and you know, she just talked about how exhausting it would have been to have been trying to maintain this impression of being bubbly when that's not really how she would describe herself or how I would describe her. Um, I think she just has a really cool, genuine personality. And, um, you know, that led to a discussion about how we all just need to be who we are and value our set of strengths and, you know, recognize our weaknesses as always. And she really liked my metaphor or analogy using like restaurants and saying, you know, if you go to an Italian restaurant because you love Italian food, um, you're not going to criticize that restaurant for not being great with Mexican food, you know, and if, if a restaurant tries to specialize in every type of food, it's probably not going to be, you know, great at all of it. It's just not supposed to be. So you go to a Mexican restaurant for Mexican food and, you know, different people like different styles of food, different personalities, and they all have value. And um, don't try to be all of it. Just be who you are. So that really resonated with her. Um, so I think that is most of what I wanted to say. This was just one of those sessions that I thought, you know, some big issues came up that I think are relevant for so, so many people. Um, trying to see if there's anything else 
Um, oh, one other quick side note. She did say that she has some food issues at times where certain foods just upset her stomach. And that makes eating a little bit more complicated as well. And she's never really been tested for allergies. But I have met several people over the years who almost develop an eating complex and anxiety because they don't know how their body's going to respond to a certain type of food. And sometimes that can be anxiety. Anxiety can cause all kinds of gastrointestinal problems. But sometimes it could be a food allergy and it gets really complicated, like you know, dreading eating because you don't know how your body is going to respond. So all of those kind of holistic considerations are really important to take into account. And um, anyway, I guess just to wrap up, um, I said, you know, it's tiring to be someone you're not. And she was saying that we all don't need to be the same. So anyway, I hope you get something out of this and hopefully I'll be doing these little mini episodes now that I have my own little microphone that I can use. All right. Have a great day.